0: On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at selling behaviors that kill deals, virtual sales recruiting, Apple pushing back on working remotely, and much, much more. My name is Will Baron. I'm the founder of Salesman.org, and joining me, the co-host of this train that is just powering through the sales community right now, the legend Victor Antonio. How's it going, sir?
1: Dude, I was trying to get a train uh, visual going here, <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm doing good. Well, I've been up since three o'clock this morning. So it's now, since we're recording on typically eight hours, I just couldn't sleep, man. I don't, you know, you ever. one of the things I started doing, and I didn't do it last night, is writing down things I need to do the next day before mm-hmm. I get to bed. And I noticed that it helped me sleep. I didn't do it last night. And sure enough, my brain was active, man. How are you doing on your side?
0: Um, I was up at three o'clock. And you just oh, totally wow. told the, the wind out of my story here. Because I was up at three o'clock. I couldn't sleep either. Because my partner elbows me in the ribs at three o'clock in the morning goes, and goes, I just heard a noise outside. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Now, That's already
1: more let, dramatic than mine. <laughs> let,
0: let, me, let me just paint a picture here. The last time that my partner thought that there was an issue, there was someone coming like casing the house and stuff like that, um, was that there was lights every you know, three, four o'clock in the morning. There was lights. We live, live in a, a cul-de-sac. And uh, so the lights, someone was spinning around and the lights going through the window and waking uh, my missus up. And there was like weird noises and there was like rattling on the back of what turned out to be a pickup truck. Now, I waited basically waited up, found out who it was. It was the milkman. So the last time that I was woken up that we're being robbed was the milkman just coming around doing his deliveries. So I'm a little like hesitant to get out of bed and 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 (laughs) suss what's going on. Anyway, Emily wakes up, elbowing me, she's like, right, I'm not happy about this. As in as in, you know, I've got to go do something about it now. The dog's downstairs, the dog's awake, so I'm like, okay, maybe there is something. So I've got this. I shouldn't maybe say this in case it ever happens, but this is why people uh, security guards, for example, carry big mag lights. because if you beat the heck out of someone with it, you can just say, oh, "I just had it with me." It's not a defensive weapon. If you pick up a weapon and then go and attack someone with it, uh, you can be uh, in the UK anyway. You can be you can be done for using more force than what's needed for the situation. So I pick up my mag light. I'm going downstairs. I've got it on my shoulder like a like a copper would be, ready to just like whack someone on the head. Turn on the lights. We've got floodlights that we can turn on around all the house and uh, there's no one there. There's no noises. Nothing's going on. And so I'm still only 50% believing that there's actually a noise. It's only that the dog confirmed it. So Victor Antonio, I'm freaking tired, my friend. So I will, both of us, I've got a cup of green tea here. I'm sure you've had a coffee uh, to get rocking and rolling today. I'm sure we'll still put on a great show, right?
1: So, hey, we're going to put on a great show, but what do you think it was? You think it was a what?
0: It, probably Fox. We've got tons of Foxes where we are. Um, okay. Uh, my partner, it sounded like someone had jumped on the bin. And if someone was to go, if a creature or a human was trying to get from one garden to the next, they'd probably climb on the bins to get over. So it's probably a fox.
1: You know, it's funny because we're backed up into a, a 40 acre farm, not ours. We're just backed up into it. And there's a time during the year, and I think it's around February, or March, where foxes just go into mating season. Have you ever heard foxes during mating season? If not, I think no. you should go on YouTube and listen to that video and that screeching sound. It is, the dogs go nuts, Matt. It's just like, it's just not tolerable, man. So anyway, just reminded me of that. But anyway, well, I digress. Let's get into this week's in sales.
0: Let's get into some sales news. And this is the LinkedIn State of Sales Report 2021. And we'll link to this in everything else that we talk about in the show notes of this episode over at thisweekinsales.com. And there's a few, there's a few pointers here I think that may be useful for the audience and we'll discuss. There's a few data points. Unfortunately, and this is not this makes the data less useful than what it could be. So all the data points are around 50%, 50% this, 50% this. So it's difficult to have a divergent opinion on this. So we'll we'll, we'll get into the points and we we can perhaps discuss that as well. But the first one is 50% of buyers say that salespeople and themselves working remotely has made the purchasing process easier. Is that because, Victor, they've not got salespeople pestering them and that they can just buy in their own time with their own process now?
1: Yeah, that's simple. I mean, it's right down the middle, right? So I think, yeah. How's that for an easy answer? Yes, yes. And, and I this is the problem. If it was
0: 87% of <laughs> buyers said that this makes, selling, uh, makes buying easier, then we know the answer. We should push towards yeah. that.
1: But at 50, it's You're kind like, of up in the eh. air. Yeah. It's like, which way do you want to go on that
0: one? So that's good. Okay. So I, as I said, so I think some of this data will diverge over time and we'll see these swing one way more or the other. So a few other pointers here, and these came in from buyers themselves specifically. Buyers also identified a number of behaviors from sellers that were immediate deal killers,
1: right? Uh-oh. It's going to get good, people. It's going to get good. So Lean I, in.
0: So I'll run through these three <laughs> and then we can, we can can we can dissect them. 48% of buyers said delivering misleading information about a product, its price, etc. 44% buyers said, not understanding my company and its needs. 43% not understanding their own product or service. So my question to you, Victor, is right now in 2021, as we record this episode of This Week in Sales, is the problem in the sales industry that you know we're trying to fix as well, we're, we're trying to help with this, is the problem that there's a lack of sales skill, product knowledge, Or is it what we kind of talk about almost every week that we need more AI, we need more technology, and we need problem solving by code?
1: Well, I told you before we started this uh, that I'm car shopping right now, right? I visited three dealers, three dealers. All three sales guys were horrible. Like, they didn't even ask us, like, why that car? Why did you come in to look at that specific car? Not one. Like we walked in, we want to look at the, you know, the, uh, again, the Volvo X, I think it's the XC40 or CX40, whatever the letters are. We said that one right there. No question was it like, well, why that one? Nothing like that. They just kind of said, okay, like, duh, and just give us the keys, give us your license, and then you can go take it for a test drive. Went to the next one, which was the uh, VW. We want to look at the Tiguan, same thing. Next one, Mazda, want to look at that one, same thing. And the only reason we're looking at a second different card, Mazda, is because I said, hey, what's that one over there? Because it was like an XC5. And I said, what's this, this over here? That's an XC30. I said, well, that one looks interesting. Not at any moment did they say, why now? Why this? Not once. So, yeah. Dude, you can't, I, you can, you I, can I, give. by the way, you can give an idiot tools. It'll just make him an idiot with tools, right? <laughs> that, that is
0: what I've been, that is my like kind of, Almost like a mission statement at this point. Dude,
1: I, I, you can't. I feel your angst. I feel
0: your angst. Uh, it's painful. So, we're doing this webinar. We're doing it weekly now. If you head over to salesman.org webinar, you, you'll find it there. If you're interested, get signed up to it. It's you know, a live webinar. And the whole like first 15%, 20% of the webinar is that a lot of salespeople are failing, and it's not necessarily their fault. They've not been told what to do. They've been given a quota. They've not even had decent product training. At the minimum, your company should be giving you that, and perhaps you take the initiative and do uh, sales training, negotiation training, uh, and all the mindset stuff uh, yourself or on the side in your own time. Because that translates to any sales role, right? Any business role in the future. That, that's valuable to just know in general. But the product training at the very minimum should be done by the company because who else can do product training as well as the company producing and 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 shipping the products?
1: Yeah, it, it's funny. We're, I'm in the car with the guy, right? Uh, this is the uh, Mazda one, the one we're leading towards. And so the guy, you know, he spews off a couple of gibberish points. He thought I wasn't listening. And he says, da 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 And he says something like a, and thought was a VRS, a something, something. I go, what's a VRS? And he literally had to try to remember what it was. Like, oh, that stands for uh, like uh, variability, something, something. I go, okay, what does that mean? And he couldn't answer the question. It li- I mean, Will, he couldn't answer the question. He was just spewing data, but couldn't answer the question. So I-, I love this. The first one, that 48% delivering misleading information about the product. And the last one, not understanding their own product. That's huge. And that's what you're talking about. Where's the product training?
0: Um, we'll come on to this in a, um, a report that uh, towards the end of the show of People leaving sales, time in sales jobs, because all of that effect is is important, right? Because the it just could be that coincidentally the reps, the car salespeople that you dealt with, it was the first week on the job. Now, no, no, I'm,
1: I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with your statement right here at the end. Here, it's shitty salespeople who haven't been trained. Those are your words in our yeah. notes. I agree with you hundred percent. It's shitty people who haven't been
0: trained. <laughs> okay, so on that point, then, Victor. Yes, sir. Who's resp- I know the answer to this, but I just want to drill it in for the audience. Whose responsibility is it for salespeople listening right now who are going, You're talking about me. I'm trying really hard, but I don't have the skills and the knowledge. Whose responsibility is it to get that knowledge into you?
1: You know, my I, I used to have a real hard ass statement. So this is Victor, you know, growing with wisdom. And just be more reflective of my answers. And that is, I would immediately say the salesperson is ultimately responsible for their own training. But the thing is, there has to, you and I came from a product-centric type of market, right? You're in the medical industry. I came from telecom, where we need like product managers to really walk us through what this thing can do, right? Because we sometimes don't understand what we're about to sell. So I think there's equal responsibility. At the end of the day, the salesperson is responsible. But when we talk about onboarding people, that's where the product managers have to kick in and give them great training.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next topic. Talking about salespeople going from one job to another. Tell us about this virtual recruiter. So you
1: know me, I'm always on the lookout for AI, just cool AI stuff. This this one I'm, I, I'm half-heartedly wanting to talk about it because I know how you feel about some of this stuff. But I thought I'd say, you know what, let's kind of go somewhere different. There's a company called, and I believe the pronunciation is Silential. Now see that right there, like Silential, even if it was Silential. I mean already. That bothers me. Anyway, spelled C-E-L-E-N-T-I-A-L. Silential.ai appoints the vice president of AI and sales, uh, expands its AI-powered, listen carefully, virtual recruiter service to sales recruiting. Whoa. So now we have AI about to do some recruiting here. So if you got, as Will would say, shitty salespeople, unquote, (laughs) then maybe Silential is your answer. So Silential is like a top of the funnel type of company where it develops an unparalleled deep understanding of Kenneth's background using machine learning, natural language processing and data science. They say our virtual recruiter, they have a virtual recruiter. Sends out highly individualized emails to high potential clients on behalf of the hiring manager. Creates automatic follow-ups based on accurate sentiment analysis, which is basically what the tone of the message is. What would uh, what would take uh, recruiters hours now is done in a fraction of time, a fraction of the time, and rolled out to scale. Also, so this is just I put a little note here for myself to remember. This is like HR prospecting. It's like your prospect to be just practiced. So I mean, what do you think of that? Like a virtual recruiter. This
0: makes more sense to me than uh, using the same technology in a sales role where you reach Mm -hmm. out to buyers. Because if you are essentially selling a decent job, you can, as a recruiter, to probably 50 salespeople that you just dug up on LinkedIn, they're probably going to reply to it. Versus if I'm trying to sell a product, it doesn't matter what that product is, the buyer probably has more resistance, a bigger barrier for them to accept a call or a move to like the first steps of the sales process. So they can probably get away with it in HR uh, or get away with it in uh, recruitment to send a bit more because it's going to be more spammy than a handwritten note. It, it has to be right. Um, right. So yeah, I I get, this is a better way, fit for this kind of technology.
1: So okay. So do you get by any chance? Do you get job offers um, off of LinkedIn?
0: I did, but then I turned off a load of notifications and um, opt-ins and stuff on LinkedIn and basically just blocked anyone from from offering me jobs. So I did it one okay. point. And now it's I all need to do stuff.
1: that. Well, I need to do that because I, I get these job offers and I'm like, have you even looked at my background? <laughs> <Do> you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, have you looked at my background? Uh, it would tell you that this is not a fit. So I'm wondering also, there's there's an application called crystalnose.ai. That's the website, Crystal Nose. Are you familiar with that one? I am. Crystal Nose. Terrible Knows. name. It right. just
0: reminds me of like a meth addict or something.
1: Yeah, crystal, crystal meth knows. Crystal knows basically is you can use the application on LinkedIn and it will go through a person's profile and give you some type of almost like a disk assessment yep. via LinkedIn. And so I can see how like that type of data tied in with maybe somebody's background that they pull off of, you know, LinkedIn and maybe kind of structure some type of response you know, and some phrasing. So I can see where this actually, again, they're top of the funnel. And some, by the way, on their website, they actually have good case studies of where they've been very successful in finding new recruits. So maybe worth looking at, horrible name, Silential.ai, I would check them out. For sure. If you're looking for people, yeah.
0: Well, if you're looking at changing jobs, well, this is a report from, uh, well, it was the data is on bdaily.co.uk, talking about remote working, pushing salespeople away from their jobs. It's entitled, remote working has pushed salespeople away. What is the solution? So this is a survey of more than 2000 <coughs> revenue leaders across the US, Canada, France, and Germany. And it states 58% of sales decision makers have reported that salespeople have departed their teams at higher rates than normal over the past 12 months. Now, no, that's that's surprising, isn't it, Will? I don't is know if it's surprising. surprising it feels like it needs another like seven points to caveat it. Because have they sacked a load of people because no one's buying product? So they're trying to reduce the workforce, in which case, clearly, you're going to have uh, salespeople departing their company. They're not saying departed is a bit of an ambiguous term. Perhaps they should have said, be more specific, of no longer work there, having been let go. Um, right. You know whatever whatever it is. Yeah, we don't
1: want we don't know what departed means. Were they yeah. fired or did they leave on their own volition, or maybe put on temporary? What's the word? Nobody likes it. not downsized. You can't say fired. They've been furloughed. like put on levers. Yeah, furloughed is probably a nice phrase. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: and then there's a few points on this as well. Uh, salespeople choosing to depart teams is at, at a higher rate of fifty eight percent, and the top three challenges to achieving sales goals are the lack of in-person meetings, which is 33% of salespeople reporting this, uh, and internal meetings as well. I don't really understand what that means. And budget constraints, that's a bit of a cop-out at 28%. And a lack of certainty in pipeline and forecasting projections. This to me just says that salespeople are having a bit of a rough ride at the moment. I think so.
1: I, you know, And by the way, none of these are new issues, right? Uh, you know, Especially certainty in pipeline and forecasting projection, nothing new here. But I, but I'm wondering. Yeah, I, I, I it still feels a little weird out there to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean in the market space? It still feels a little weird. Like, I think people are just trying things to see what kind of works, but nobody's really sure what's working right now. How do you feel about that?
0: I agree. I think we're in a massive um, inflection point. I think we we talk right. We've been talking. We, this is the thirty third episode of this show. So. Bar like missing a few and me doing a few of my own. Say we've we've almost been doing this for a year. You know, by by the time we take off Christmas and stuff, over the past twelve months, I feel like we talk about almost the same things every single week of the buyers engaging further along the buying cycle. Salespeople even need to produce content or have great marketing teams that give them content that allow them to get in the buying cycle earlier on. Um, AI has come along and given uh, more intelligent insights at certain points of the sales process. There's a divergence in some sales teams are getting pushed to use AI and technology to spam, and others are using it to perhaps do more intelligent one-to-one outreach, and there's a debate as to which one of that will win over over the long term. I don't feel like what we've said over the past 12 months, what we've chatted about, Victor, has changed. I feel like it's just it's just accelerated, and clearly we've just gone through a world, like wide global pandemic, so things are going to accelerate. Um, but I feel like even though the same issues are there that probably been there for the past 30, 40 years... Um, Evan's now just... I feel like there's almost there's almost a point where you could light... Uh, and all the political stuff going on in the States and stuff as well over the past 12 months, um, and all the furlough shenanigans over here in the UK. It's all kinds of stuff, right? I feel like there's almost like a punch where you could just light a match and a lot of the sales industry would just die off in an instant.
1: Yeah, what do you, what do you mean by when you say accelerate? I kind of didn't get what you meant by that. So I you feel said like it's changing, but it's accelerating.
0: So, for example, uh, <clears throat> millennials aging up into buying roles. So <clears throat> I'm a buy. We, we you know we have a small budget each month that I spend on technology and tools and stuff. And um, but I'm getting more and more people reach out to me to try and sell me stuff. Right, um, three years ago there would be less millennials in buying roles. Now uh, with COVID, people are retiring early. People are changing jobs. People, Companies are getting uh, downsized. Layers have been taken out. So all of a sudden, there's way more millennials in buying roles uh, proportionally than there was three years ago. So that's an acceleration of perhaps you could get away with cold calling 98% of the market um, three years ago, um, perhaps millennials, well, not perhaps, millennials are less into, uh, less likely to pick up the phone on a, on a cold call, You're less likely to be able to get the number in the first place. Most of them don't have office phones. Um, so now it's it didn't go 98% cold calling effectiveness, 96, 95. It went from 98 to like, I'm mm-hmm. making up these numbers obviously, but it went from 98 sure, sure. to 30 in the course of 12 months, as opposed to uh, a more linear uh, approach to this or a more linear transition would have spread this out longer.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I, I, yeah, it just feels weird out there right now. And I think people are trying to figure it out. Like even companies, I'm sure like this whole thing about wrestling with remote versus non-remote, I think is still that struggle of what's best.
0: Um, What is best? Give us the answers.
1: I I don't know what's best, but uh, are you done with this one? Because I can jump to the next one and I can get a hint at what's going on. Let's do it. All right, so Apple now pushes back on remote work. Oh, now it gets juicy because I'm liking this actually. See, because I, I'm I am starting to form an opinion now oh, wow. on remote. I, I it's just the way you said, wow, finally forming an opinion. <laughs> I didn't,
0: that's that's, that's the cond- way you
1: meant that. The tone in your voice when <laughs> that's you said wow, condescending, I, I didn't <laughs> mean totally <it> to. condescending. <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, here's an article by Reva Gold. I saw this over at LinkedIn this morning. It says Apple pushes back on remote work. And the reason that this will I'll read the article, the the, the snippet here, but the, the reaction to this article has been almost violent. So let me read the article first, and then let's talk about the response. Apple remains committed to requiring most employees to work in the office at least three days a week from September, despite staff opposition. Apple employees have written a letter asking for the policy to be reversed, giving all teams the option to work remotely. Quote, we believe that in-person collaboration is essential to our culture and our future," said Senior Vice President. Uh, said in a video recording to, uh, I guess it's a magazine or a channel called The Verge. Any new remote positions will require executive approval. Why do you think? And then the question was, Why do you think? What do you think of Apple's hybrid policy? And this is over again over on LinkedIn. What's interesting is that uh, the gentleman over who's the CEO of Connect and Sell, Christopher Beal. Uh, basically, flame this, saying they're on the wrong side of history, right? And again, it, it, I, I again, you know, everybody should just study some Buddhism once in a while. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not about this or that. Usually, the answer lies somewhere in the middle, in moderation. And I think what what Apple is saying here is that okay, spend at least three days in the office. I mean, what a change from over a year ago. Mm-hmm. That would have been everybody. That would have been celebrated a year ago. Now it's like, well, I don't know. I just don't know if I want to go back. And I really believe that some companies. This is why you just can't black and white things. Some companies need to be in person to create, as their Apple's pointing out, this collaborative thing. Especially when you're in a when in a market where being creative with tools to stay ahead is your competitive advantage. So I am with Apple on this. I think Apple is actually being very generous with this policy. Yep. So. I'm taking Apple's side on this one.
0: I think, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to say that I trust the opinions and probably internal data on what is the most valuable company in the world, where like probably a third of all Western civilization has their product, as, at least in their pocket, if not on their wrist, if not in their ears, if not on their desk. Uh, they've probably got some good data that working in an office environment uh, is is effective. (laughs) I I don't think they're making these decisions on a whim.
1: No. And... and I mean, we've been on enough virtual conversation and virtual calls, especially when you're you're doing like your workshops or the webinars that you're doing every week, right? You can tell when some people, if you have a manageable amount of people you can look at, when some people are tuned in and when some people are tuned out, the distractions, the multitasking that go on remotely would ruin the creative process of, let's say, we stick five people in a room with no windows. We'd be focused on creating things. Five people on a virtual conference—it just doesn't work. And I, so I, I, I think the folks on LinkedIn who were flaming this article, were not really giving it the thought. You know that whole process about what are they trying to accomplish? If we're just doing rote, you know, basic work, then yeah, of course we can do remote. But and, and don't like forget, don't
0: forget here, Apple's Apple isn't just a, a disgusting seventies concrete building that offices, right? Apple, <laughs> we're true. talking about the, the Apple campus here. It's it's a fun, it's a phenomenal great facility, point, great point. just worldwide as, as a location to spend time. Never mind to work there. You're probably going in your three days a week, and this is going to be somewhat stereotypical of like the Silicon Valley life. But you're probably going in, getting a nice smoothie in the morning, having a chill on some weird beanbag chair, doing your design work. You know, changing, revolutionising uh, computing as we know it, putting devices in people's pockets all over the world. And then having to give them ping pong or pool or whatever in the afternoon and, and you know getting your meals paid for and, and all this kind of stuff. That is, that's not the average company that we're talking about here who are doing kind of cold calling from a boiler room where they could probably do it at home just as effectively, if not more effectively, from mm-hmm. the, the kitchen table. And that's a great point. That And by the way, they don't talk about what that
1: means to be in the office for three days. Does that mean I come in for a couple of hours after I get my smoothie, yeah. get my smoothie, then jump in? Because maybe just being touch base with your team and so anyway, I was so surprised at how nasty people are getting with the Google, you know, with Apple saying you're on the wrong side of history. It's a little dramatic. So anyway, uh, moving on to virtual selling. This one I plucked out just for you, Will, just for you. I said virtual selling expected to be the new normal of MedTech sales in 2022. Here it is. Uh, The article is over at medtechdrive.com. Some say that vaccines will return sales strategies back to normal. However, evidence shows that many providers will continue to prefer virtual interactions. A survey by the Bain Bain & Company shows that this preference is not only becoming more common, even more so in the post-COVID-19 world. 47% of physicians who preferred in-person visits now strongly prefer virtual engagement. Three out of five technicians believe this trend should continue. What do you think of that one, Will? I, I had to come to you on that one.
0: So uh, let's talk about very specifically what I used to sell. And I've got one right here. Oh, this this was uh, acquired privately. It was not. Uh, acquired from the company van that I sold for previously. And this is an endoscope. This goes inside a patient, inside their abdomen, and uh, there's a camera goes on the end. That goes to a big monitor, and the surgeon can do essentially keyhole, what is keyhole surgery about opening up the patient. The patient's By the way, can we, just,
1: can we just pause for a second? Sure. Can we just pause for an important second here? Okay. I just brought up this topic of medical sales and whether they should be in or out of office. And then you... You know, just like nothing, pull out an endoscope from underneath your chair.
0: Should we see? Um, should so, we play, so, so the, we play so the, the, <laughs> from the chair game? Should we see what yeah, else is under
1: here? Yeah, because I'm like, uh, you ha- the, people are listening uh, to this. They go, Did he poker set? G- g- okay, so <laughs> just yeah. to let you know, we didn't plan this endoscope.
0: Uh, a game like joystick for playing Street Fighter with. Street uh, Fighter, okay. We have, oh, yeah. this, is a- <laughs> this is a random one. These are some um, targets for a, uh, a BB gun, an air rifle. Um, I think we're getting to the, what else is left now? Um, we have this weird device covered in crap that is used for editing uh, videos. So it has multiple buttons that can be assigned and a jog wheel there. And I think um, we have, I'll give him a plug. We have Daniel Disney's new book, The Ultimate LinkedIn Sales Guide from when I recorded with him not too long ago. I'll stick that on the desk there and give uh, young Daniel's uh, book a plug. Uh, there's probably tons of other crap here as well, but yeah, I, talk about, I don't know why it's under there. It's just, just with stuff. <laughs> this room is just full of just
1: stuff. By the way, if you're listening to this on audio, please run over and watch this video. And you're going to see we'll pull out some crap from underneath this chair that was not planned. <laughs> but anyway, back to this, because people are going to think we planned the whole endoscope thing. So,
0: we uh, did not. He just pulled it out. So <laughs> The reason I brought this out and uh, I was showing you the point of it is it's very tactile. It's very hands on when the, the camera's been attached and there's different... For example, here, there's this unscrews in multiple ways, different adapters. So this scope itself has three adapters on it. So depending on your camera system, you have a light cable that goes in, you have a, a camera stack, you have the scope. So it'd be very difficult for me to do a camera system demonstration without being in the room with the surgeon. If you had a nurse hold up an iPad with me trying to zoom into the room and describe things, explain things, I'm sure it physically could be done, but the surgeon is not going to like it because this equipment's being used on a patient in real time and they don't typically have the facilities and the the, the nursing staff and even like uh, an engineering staff to have multiple camera systems set up just in case something goes wrong with the demonstration here or we need to switch back to the old systems. So the point of all that is that I feel very strongly that a lot of medical device specific sales roles, you will have to have a salesperson in the room because you're not just selling you're also training the staff and the surgeon on the equipment as as the demonstration uh, goes on and you're the to press buttons when things go wrong and someone presses the wrong thing the lights go off and all that kind of stuff so yeah some I agree some products like uh, orthopedic products if you break your arm and you have to have a plate in it or some screws you can just send a tray of them over. The surgeon will like the feel of them. They'll choose one or the other. Price is a massive uh, factor there. Perhaps that could be done remotely. Perhaps that could be done with a phone call beforehand, some literature, um, some video content, some multimedia content, and then kind of follow up after the fact. Uh, but there is a lot of medical devices that will be very difficult to sell into that environment uh, without the support of someone being in there. And whether we call them salespeople or whether we call them you know product experts, whatever, uh, we want to kind of rephrase it to take some of that sales Edge off things. Um, it's going to be difficult to provide a service of getting these products into places where they need to be, so that they can improve the quality of lives for the surgeons and patients without people physically in the room.
1: Yeah, you almost have to touch the stuff. Like I don't know about you, but some, I'm very tactile. You know, and so I, like the endoscope. You know, you, you know, you could show it to me on video, but I want to kind of touch it. We've all had that experience where we order something from Amazon, and when we get it, we're like, that's not what I. Ordered, you know what I mean? I didn't think it was going to be this crappy. And so, by the way, that that reminds me of a very interesting study. They they did a study with because uh, you know how our brain thinks this way, right? If something is heavy, our brain says quality, right? Mm-hmm. And if something is light, you're like cheap, you know the heuristic rule of thumb of thinking, right? They did this interesting study. Well, they they gave the same resume to two groups of people, except they put one on a light clipboard and the other one on a heavy clipboard. And they said, okay, uh, would you call this candidate back? And the one that was on the heaviest clipboard would have actually got more requests for callbacks.
0: Well, that's how I got you my know, first job. I literally just went around the sales manager's house and just threw um, a brick with my a CV wrapped around through <laughs> his window and immediately got a call. He was loving it. <laughs> that's how I did That was quick. That was good, actually. That was really good. <laughs> well, they, they did this with um, you know Beats Headphones, uh, Dr. Dre's huh. brand that was uh, bought by Apple. Well, right. they were criticized because, well, because they were just crap. Um, it was like a branding exercise as opposed to like high quality uh, audio components and stuff within them. Uh, but they were criticized because they were putting big um, um, steel like plates in the in the headphones themselves to make the headphones feel heavier. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. I didn't know that. They Interesting. For that. They were also criticized. Well, Dr. Dre was criticized because he was bragging about those that they're charging three hundred dollars, but there was only like fifteen dollars worth of components in there. And he got nailed on that one. I remember that one, but I never heard the the plate. So even that, but anyway, the point being is that when you feel something, it gives it more, you know, I want to buy it or not want to buy it. So being in place, being there, I think is important. I, again, if it's software that it doesn't matter, but I still say being, in, you know, there, this is why I think we're going to, we're going to swing back. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I think, you know, maybe right now we're in the 50, 50 zone, yep. but I think we're going to move back into 80, 20, 80%. Is going to be face to face. Twenty percent is going to be virtual. And again, I'm being, I'm generalizing because different industries will have different ratios. But that's kind of my feeling, my gut
0: feeling. I think what's going to happen is, well, I'm we'll carry on the analogy of the surgeon. They're going to make a buying decision. They're going to make the wrong buying decision once, and then they're never going to do anything virtual ever again because these are three mm. grand a pop, right? <clears throat> There's a there's a ton right. of like really sophisticated glad uh, glass rod lenses in this. These are three grand a pop. When they break, they're fifteen hundred quid as a flat fee to repair. A hospital would buy maybe a hundred of them, depending on the size of the hospital. By the time you add in a few camera systems at 60 grand a pop, probably even more now. That, you know, I've not been selling medical devices for years, so you're looking at you know three, four, 500 grand. You only have to make that mistake once, and you're never going to rely on a zoom call again, are you? To to, kind of to buy uh, something to, to do this again.
1: You, you bring up an interesting point. This has been happening recently because of the supply chain issues out there. Like, for example, did you know in the US, a used car is almost as expensive as a new car because they just don't have enough components to bring in new cars, right? Mm-hmm. But I found that I, something interesting is happening in the market, right? And this is why I think it, feel, it feels weird right now because I was comfortable buying on Amazon, right? The problem is I can't find the product. So I decided to go to the mall. Like I haven't been to a mall. It's, like, it's funny when you go to a mall, it's like, Wow, I haven't seen this in a while, and you go there only to find out that you're just as disappointed, if not more disappointed, because you actually made the trip there and you got to put up with all the the nuisance that uh, the folks that are there who are just nuisance. And I realize, let me go back home and just you know order something. At least I don't have to invest this in searching for something from store to store. So I think it's weird because also the supply chain has been disruptive, and I think it's been disrupted, and I think it's it's hard to restart an economy you know, i'm talking about a global economy and i think that's the weirdness we're feeling now
0: for sure when you're talking about for example chip shortages that are delaying uh, every like semi luxury car and luxury car from being produced because they use so many chips it's just not going to be resolved for another 18 months there, there physically are not enough fab uh, factory fab factories creating enough uh, you know silicon wafers to produce it it's just it's it's not like you can flip a switch and turn some of this back on it physically can't ramp up. You'd have to increase capacity. And there's only like three or four companies that can make a lot of these NVIDIA chips and Apple chips and ARM chips on the whole of the planet.
1: The reason I, I totally agree with you 100% is because this weekend, uh, I my, my sister-in-law has a new job. She's a buyer. And she buys things to put in a store, right? And they can't find enough plushies. <laughs> okay? A plushie, I guess, is a stuffed animal, right? So apparently... A lot of these people who used to produce these plushies, these stuffed animals, have gone out of business. So now the demand is so high for these plushies that they're just basically going to anywhere they can find a plushie to kind of buy, right? And I'm like, well, if you just can't restart the engine on plushies, can you imagine trying to restart the engine on a a wafer factory to produce microchips? It's got to be crazy. And so weird times we're in now.
0: But hey, I, I was just I, I'll, sorry, I cut you off then in what was going to yeah. be a good cr- transition. Just, uh, just add it. this final thing to it. They're in a weird time, just economically, with all the potential inflation, just printing of money. There's not enough product to s- fill the, the supply of demand. It's just weird. It's probably going to be weird for another 12 months. And I'm going to finish so, your but, transition but, there, Victor. No, no, no. But uh, you,
1: you bring up something I think it's worth talking about because we're seeing the impacts of inflation here. Uh, I just finished seeing a documentary called The End of Money. And I may have mentioned it last week, but it really hit me because it's it's starting to hit the economy. Now, all this money that's being printed by the government, that's not backed by anything. Uh, so The End of Money is a documentary on YouTube, highly recommended. It was like seven, eight years ago. And now you're really understanding what they're saying. But the inflation over here is crazy. You know, uh, we live in a neighborhood, I think it's an average neighborhood, where your average house is about maybe four five or $500,000, right? Some people say, well, that's not average, Victor. I get that, but you know. Victor's uh, boring. For me.
0: Victor just tried no, to downplay no. that then.
1: No, 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 no. And so all of a sudden, like really like five houses down, the house just went on sale for a million dollars. And it's not gonna last a week, Will. Because Do you think, everything around here,
0: it's not gonna last a week, it's I, gonna be gone. I, I, in the UK, I, I'm, we'll wrap up. I, I wanna talk about the next topic. I, I really wanna get your sure. thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. But in the UK, house prices can't go down. So many people, your generation, have all of their wealth, I don't know if it's the same in the US, all of their wealth wrapped up in that house. And they've mm-hmm. just been sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. That if house prices went down, well, t- half the nation would, would go under with the mortgages and there'd be so many uh, you know, issues with that. that. That's a totally different conversation. But with your generation, some people have the, all, they don't have pensions, they don't have cash in the bank, all their wealth is in houses. And so they'd be on the streets if they couldn't downsize- and, uh, and move on. So it, it's it, the housing market in the UK is a mess. So I don't know if it's the same in the US, but we're just on this... You're going to have flats in the UK soon, and there are flats in London and, and, and elsewhere, but you have small properties that are going to have to do what they do uh, in Japan, other countries, in the Asian markets, where you get a mortgage that then gets passed on to your kids because the mortgage is so large versus your income. Yeah,
1: I don't think that's happening here. What's happening here is that the dollar is being diluted because of all the printing that's going on. And so we got a new stimulus package that's going to pass, an infrastructure plan, you know, and that's going to be like $6 trillion. They just dumped $2 into in the market. Now they're going to dump $6 trillion. Uh, inflation. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a uh, financial guy here in the U.S., I don't know if you know who he is. Yep. Uh, he was asked the question, is this a bubble or is this inflation? He goes, it's inflation. In other words, these prices aren't going back down. That's the scary part. These prices aren't going back down. So, But speaking of scary and interesting, Will, that's the best transition I have. I'll let you start this topic off because you were the initiator of this one.
0: Bo Burnham, Inside. I mentioned it at the end of last week's This Week in Sales. I think I framed it up as saying, along the lines of paraphrasing, it made me feel weird. It made me feel uncomfortable. It slightly—that's why I said it slightly said, changed me. As I was no, watching you said
1: it. you said you said you said. I don't know how I started questioning my own existence yeah. afterwards.
0: <laughs> so, Victor, you've watched it now, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it yet—it's available on Netflix. Uh, pause, and we're going to end the show with this topic. So, if you haven't already seen it, uh, pause and come back to this after you've watched the. It's a comedy special with elements and, and twists. But what, Victor? What did you think of it?
1: So so people can get it, Bo Burden, I think is how you pronounce the name, and then it's titled Inside. Correct. And as soon as you said, you know, I don't know how, you know, I started questioning my own existence, I go, what would make Will question his own existence? Like literally. And I said, I got to watch this. Anything that makes Will go, I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) Who am I? You know, that type of thing. I got to watch. And so I'm watching it with a skeptical eye, right? And it is got to be probably the most interesting thing I have seen in a long time. I'm like watching this going, what am I looking at? Do you know what I mean? What am I looking at? So again, spoiler alert, because we're probably, I'm gonna reveal some. So it's a guy who's trapped, not trapped, he's in this room, that's the way he's setting it up. And it's almost like a year, a little over a year now, I think he's in this room. And he's, what makes it interesting is that, obviously he's a comedian, right? He's also one heck of a musician. A piano player, right? And songwriter. And he's not afraid of technology. So he's filming this stuff, but he's creating all these cool effects. And it's almost like being stuck with a guy for a year in a room, but compressed. You know what I mean? And the, if you listen to the songs, there's meaning behind the song. Because he's it's, it's, it's very satirical, I think is the word I'm looking for. A lot of satire in there and a lot of social commentary And there were a couple of times I go, huh, I never looked at it that way. You know, the way he's singing about it. And what I I also loved about it, he was very, uh, self-deprecating is not the word, but he was very like open. Do you know what I mean? Here's who I am type of, yeah, it was, anyway, when I finished it, I go, I got to watch this again. I haven't watched it for the second time, but I'm going to highly recommend this one because this is like, this is a different journey. This is a different mental journey.
0: So the, the basic premises, and you—if you haven't noticed it—you'll definitely see this in the second time round. For example, in the first intro song, he refers to himself as Robert, and then when he when he's singing, and then when he's just talking and talking about depression, and, and he's just observing himself singing while he watches himself on on his eye uh, on his Mac and stuff. He, that was he, good. He, by he way. refers to oh, the God. person singing as Bo. So he has this split personality, and then in one of the songs, right in the middle. He starts uh, well before the song. He's talking about how he's down, he's depressed. Then he goes into this like just shock of like singing and and voice. And basically, what he's trying to portray is that the only way he can talk about his feelings, like as a bloke, as being uh, introspective, as being depressed during this global pandemic, as being trapped inside what is a guest house at the bottom of his massive Mm -hmm. garden and massive house kind of thing. Um, So that's kind of set up in in that way. But he's, he's he's trying to. Say that he can only talk about these things. He can only get it out when he's being ridiculous, when he's being sarcastic and satirical in song. So there's that like split personality between him. And if you watch his, he's got two other specials on Netflix as well, and they they start off just silly and immature and get more uh, interesting as they go. And, and it it, uh, it comes comes to inside. And this is clearly going to be very difficult for him to to top and better. Uh, maybe maybe he just stops now. I would just stop. That's it. You're done. But it made me feel weird, Victor, because it made me question, like, what's the point? We're all running around like idiots doing all this stuff, like to buy a nicer Audi, to buy a GTR. And he's brave enough, and he's making a crap load of money and producing a show. And, you know, know, there's an element of like, this isn't necessarily real. He's telling a story here. Um, But he's brave enough in that context to just be like, yeah, you know. What What's the point? And he's taking the piss out of YouTubers. He's taking the piss out of Twitch streamers. He's taking the piss out of the, the culture that we're in, where it's all just not quite real. Everyone's putting I on this that was facade yeah. and this, this fakeness.
1: That, I, I guess that was it. Through his songs, because, I mean, he does a little bit of talking. but he does a lot of singing. It's almost like a musical, but it's not. It's because the music has the, 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 the social commentary within it, and then he's analyzing things. And then, again... The the lyrics were so profound, simple yet profound, that you're like, What did he just say? What did he just I had to find myself rewinding, going, go back again, replay that again? And but but I love what you're saying in, in terms of he was really like putting culture under a microscope or at least giving you a perspective that maybe you didn't have. But it is just the weirdest, coolest experience. Weird, cool would be my combination for that one. Weird, cool, and intellectual. I think was
0: yep, was and, fantastic. and the production of it, and like the songs are just on Spotify. Don't just listen to the songs. Watch the Netflix video because the production behind it. It's so it, this. So, me and you have the, these studios right in our houses.
1: And yeah, I mean his studio. We've just I a, know few where you're lights, going.
0: a disco ball, and uh, you know clearly it's more sophisticated than what I'm making out here. In in reality, he's planned it out probably over maybe a year, maybe even two years. He's planned this out, but it looks, and he's got a projector, and he's doing all these epic, like art house, like film epic things. I mean you are like, well. Oh, maybe I need to make the logo a bit brighter and, and change yeah. things. Like just totally unimaginative, just bullshit. Because me and you, me and you, Victor, are trying to emulate, me and you are trying to emulate news channels on TV with we have right. screens, backgrounds, pretty lighting. We're sat at the desk. We've got this professional. We both got these microphones because Joe Rogan has this microphone, that, you know, the, the famous podcaster, that kind of thing. And he's like, "F all that, screw all that. This is this is what an actual." truly creative person can do with the limited space that he has?
1: If you look at the limited space he has, the different pieces of equipment that he uses to create these different looks, if I could say that one. I mean, I found myself pausing the video going, what is he using? Like what camera, what microphone? You know, that's the the geekiness, right? And then, but, but you're blown away by the effects. By the way, it just watch it just for the disco ball effect. The disco ball effect. I'm like, are you freaking kidding that was me? So cool,
0: wasn't it? Just that the first was thirty was, seconds.
1: It was sick what he did with that, and he did some other things. You know what I like is that he did this video. He has a he does a little music video, right? But then he showed you how he he showed you how he created the music video within the video. It was ah, man. It's as I'm watching this, I go, I get it. I see why Will recommended this one. So I'm going to, man, I'm going to 10 star that, baby. That's that's a great movie. Documentary. Comedy? I don't comedy know. What special. It, he
0: brands it as a comedy Com- special himself.
1: It's, it's, it's got to be the deepest thing I've seen in a long time. The creativity. I mean, if you can sit there and say, what are the dimensions of a successful documentary? It's got to be creative. 10. It's got to tell a story. Ten. Uh, uh, insightful. Ten. You know what I mean? It was just, there's so many tens in this thing. But I the did the not layers, get bored. That's
0: why I love it. Did you notice the overlapping... Uh, have you seen Fight Club? Yes. So you know, in Fight Club, mm-hmm. Tyler Durden uh, chops up film and he puts pictures of penises or whatever in it. And, uh, he, and at the beginning of the film, you see pop up one single frames of Tyler Durden before um, the main protagonist realizes that Tyler Durden exists. Oh, I didn't know. I did not notice that. Well, Bo Burnham does it in inside. I don't know if you saw it. He pops up one frame multiple times in the bottom corner as the Twitch streamer.
1: Oh, I saw that. I saw yep. that.
0: So I is, thought I was. Yeah. I was wondering what is that. So that's a reference is just, to Fight Club.
1: Oh, that's why that was there. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch because you said you've watched some videos on YouTube that explain some of the layers. Yep. In this actual documentary, I mean, you have to watch it. I mean, if you're listening or watching this, you, you got to watch it. It's a must watch. It's it's. It's a must-watch.
0: Right. Well, without <laughs> that's that's the the homework for the week for everyone listening. Uh, we'll wrap up with that. We'll tie it back to sales, if I can. This dodgy transition. In that, I think don't, don't get me wrong. He had like a six grand camera and thousand, like probably ten grand worth of lenses and stuff. It was done to be put on Netflix. There's certain uh, quality standards, and you have to use certain. You have to physically use certain cameras in your production to go on Netflix as a Netflix production. So with that to one side, I feel like this is this is if you watch it as a salesperson and you know that a lot of the future of selling is bound to be remote, it's it's content creation, whether you're doing it or your marketing team doing it, um, you, could, you could probably replicate some of the stuff from this and get a ton of attention in the marketplace. I'm not saying d- do silly songs, but introspective uh, monologues with transitions or whatever it is, there's going to be something in it for salespeople to go, oh, I can do that. My customers would enjoy that. That's going to get me attention. That's going to get me a foot in the door better than a spammy cold email.
1: Yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm add to that by saying, and what I love about it is what you mentioned already. It puts a microscope, and you, you used the word culture. And, and I think as salespeople, sometimes we have to kind of analyze what we're doing yep. and why we're doing what we're doing. So it makes you philosophically reflect a little bit. And that's the big takeaway for me.
0: Yeah. Stop worrying about how many LinkedIn followers you've got and start worrying about how many leads you get from LinkedIn. Keep the main thing, the main thing, right?
1: That's your line, isn't it? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Are you going to get a shirt that says that? I get the shirt, man. It's the main thing is the main thing. You keep saying that all the
0: time. I I definitely say it. I definitely did not make it up. But yeah, uh, all the better (laughs) one is, and this is probably where it came from, um, do what makes the boat go faster. I can't remember who it is. I think it's an American uh, Olympic rower. That's all he does. Does it make the boat go faster? Yes, I'll do it. Does it make the boat go faster? Go to this event and speak. I'm not doing it. Does it make the boat go faster? Uh, I've been offered a, a sponsorship with Nike. No, I'm not doing it. It's a distraction. Does it make the boat go faster? That's what salespeople should be thinking. Does it drive it. more revenue? Does it drive more <laughs> revenue? Cool. Well, with that, we'll wrap up the show there. Next week, I think that could be a cool feature in Culture Corner, Victor. If we give the the audience some homework, and we get their feedback on a documentary, a music. Uh, a piece of music, a film or something. We'll do that in the future. Um, That was Victor Antonio, sales legend, sales royalty. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of salesman.org. And that was This Week in Sales.